Um, happy Father's Day, seriously. Um, this morning, uh, I woke up and I was kind of finalizing my sermon and uh, walk, uh, walks in through uh, to my bedroom. My, my daughter <laughs> hands me a card and a bunch of flowers. And, and I looked at her and she looked at me kind of funny too. And she kind of looked at me and I kind of looked at her and I go, I don't like flowers. And she just smirked and she left. But anyways, happy Father's Day. I, I was listening to some of you guys, how your family or your, your, your um, kids have kind of pampered you this morning. But once again, um, I just want to uh, congratulate all the fathers out there. Um, you know, well, I, I heard a, a really kind of an interesting or a funny story. A uh, census taker was told by his managers to go out and get all the censuses. And, and so this census taker goes up to a door and knocks on the doors. And a five-year-old girl answers. And, and this census taker says, hey, um, is your dad home? And, and, um, and the reply of the little five-year-old girl says, no, he's not home. Because he's at the hospital uh, performing an appendectomy. Now, the census taker go, oh my, said the census taker. That sure is a big word for such a little girl. Do you know what that means? And to, to, the, to the reply, sure, that's 1500 bucks, and that doesn't even include anesthesiologist. Once again, happy Father's Day. Hey, you guys know that we're just coming off of our sermon series called God's Playbook. And for the last five weeks, uh, we looked at how to live godly in a corrupt world. And today, we have a little, I mean, not a little, a big surprise for you. Because instead of just one pastor preaching, three of us, myself, Pastor Calvin, and Pastor Eric, We'll try to tackle one aspect of why godly fatherhood is so important in this world. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been kind of meditating and thinking about what made or what is something so important to us while we were raising our own very own children. You know, um, before becoming a dad, one of my best friends who, who became a dad two years earlier told me this, that a father is a person who carries a picture where his money used to be. Now, now let me repeat this again, that a father is someone who carries a picture where his money used to be. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, I just thought that, you know what, it's going to cost you a lot of money to raise children, Okay. But you know what? I, I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment that a father is a person who carries pictures where his money used to be. Now, you know, um, I, I, the next uh, picture, you know what? Fatherhood is very, very difficult. Now, you know, just as hard, even maybe same on an equal level. I don't know to, to moms, but you know what? I really believe that fatherhood is very, very difficult you know, after talking about fatherhood, I am really, really mindful that today might be a very difficult day for some. I mean, for those of you guys who thought about your earthly father and the only thing that could come to your mind is, is a pain. But I want to remind you, as Gordon said, that there is a grace of God for all of us in 
our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen, right? And I am also aware that those, those who are single moms out there, and, and to be blunt, the church in general may not have done a great job of serving or reaching out to the single moms in our ministry. So I, I want to say something that has been on my heart as I was beginning to prepare for this message is that I want the Christian men's in this room, this congregation to know that we have all the responsibilities, not only for our own immediate family, but to reflect the gospel by ministering to all kids, because it really takes the whole village to raise one child. You know, when I was graduating, um, one of my mentor once told me that, you know what, Ben, either as a man of God, as a father, either you are leading your family closer to God or that we are, or you are leading them further away from God. As a man of God, you are leading your family closer to God or you are leading them further away from him. You know, because there are going to become a time now, if you haven't experienced it on your own, that your kids will reach a certain age and suddenly they know more about the things of life than you. And slowly they don't want any part of you. They'll begin to say things like, Hey, you're standing in my way. You are the barrier to my fun and to my freedom. And so as parents, we will begin to walk that tightrope of living with godly values versus letting your children choose the values that they want to live their own lives and maybe just kind of allowing them to do so. So this morning, I want to introduce you to a father whose kind of faith superseded above and beyond and whose character I kind of... That, that I want to, or, or I've actually mimicked in, in my entire life as a father. Now, his name, his, the father that I want to mention this morning is that his name was actually Yarius or Jarius, the synagogue leader. But the Bible never mentions the daughter's name, only of her age being 12 years old. And, and so we go to Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to verse 42. And this is what the word of God says. Now, that when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Arius, or Jarius, the synagogue leader, came and fell at the feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. Now, let me give you a little backdrop of who the Yarius or Jarius, the synagogue leader was. Now, this person was a person who was someone was very, very important and a very, very powerful man. He, he was a ruler of the synagogue and at that time called the Akron. And this position was the highest thinking spiritual official in town. And the town mentioned here was Capernaum. Now, I, I was told and by people who actually have visited Israel and the scene, kind of the remnant of what a synagogue, that a synagogue leader in an Akron supervised the worship of the synagogues 
He planned the worship services. He chose the songs. He planned the worship services. He picked the verses from the Old Testament. And this person was very, very well-known, highly esteemed, someone with high notoriety and perhaps considered probably as a Pharisee by some scholars. Now, why am I giving you the background of what a synagogue leader is? Is because you guys know that Jesus' greatest enemies were the Pharisees, right? And yet, and yet, here we see this man, Arius, a father of a 12-year-old girl seeking after Jesus. If you read in verse 41, it says, you know what? Then came, fell at the feet of Jesus. Man named Arius, the synagogue leader, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him, to come to his to his house. Now, some of you guys may argue, well, you know what, Pastor Ben, this guy was desperate, right? He had a sick child. His child was dying. But you know what? I, I've seen even on death that people denying Jesus. Sometimes it's probably the most right, the most right moment to really declare the gospel. And yet, even unto that death moment, some people still reject. Now, do you guys remember the two thieves on the cross on the left and the right of Jesus? One of them responded by accepting Christ into his life, right? But the other criminal, what did it respond? Or how did it respond? This is what he said. If you are really Jesus, why don't you just climb down from there? Just because you are facing life and death situation doesn't mean that you are going to accept Jesus Christ. Now, this area as a religious leader, he started to look for Jesus. Whatever his status was, whatever his religious affiliation was, he just went to seek Jesus because of the pain that the daughter was suffering. He, he overcame pride. He overcame his prejudice, he, even his title. And he just simply came to the feet of Jesus. Now, you know what? Right here, some of you guys says, oh, that's pretty good. But here's the thing. Now, isn't it interesting that this man, man of a household, very respected, highly respected. Isn't it interesting because he doesn't send his wife. You know, man of God, we have this tendency that, you know what? Whenever there are spiritual things to be tackled in the house of the Lord or in your families, and this is kind of the responses of most dads. Hey, hey honey, hey, you're better at this. So why don't you go and take care of this? And this morning as I was driving, one of my best friends in, in Hong Kong sent me this little, little text message. He looked up dad in the encyclopedia or the dictionary and read, Dad isn't a person who always talks to you to go and ask your mother. Now, seriously, isn't it sometimes as the spiritual leader of a house... Don't we do this that when we actually deal with spiritual things, hey, honey, why don't you go deal with it? Because you're better at this. 
nor does he come at night like Nicodemus did, right? Do you remember Nicodemus? He, because he was a religious leader, he came during the night because, you know what, he was so afraid that what other people would imagine what he would do. But you know what, Arius, or Jarius came during the broad daylight. He comes where there will be a lot of people who could recognize him for who he was, right? If you read in verse 40 and 42, it says the multitude, the multitude saw. Now, he was so desperate that he didn't care what they would have thought of him. But the only thing that he would focus on was his daughter. And the only reason, or he realized that the only one who was going to solve his problem was Jesus. I have a 25-year-old son and a, and a 22-year-old daughter. And I want to be honest with you, um, being a father, I don't think I was really good of a dad. And just the uh, imagery that I gave you, I, I think growing up or, or being in, in, in the house of the Chas, I, I actually did what I just told you that, you know, honey, Ruth, why don't you go and take care of the spiritual things because you, you were better at this. So looking back in my own fatherhood, if I were to give my own, my, myself grade of what, a, what, a, what, a, what kind of a father I was, I don't think I was a good father. And as I was preparing for this message, now, what would be one thing that my son and my daughter were recognized. If they were to look at dad, now he, was, he wasn't around or he, he actually told his, 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 his wife to go and do the spiritual things or, you know, what he wasn't really nice or whatever. But what would be one thing that my kids would see me as, you know what, there's one thing that my dad did really, really good at. And I thought about it. And the answer I came up with is that, you know what? They know that I love God. If you were to ask my kids, did your dad succeed in in fatherhood? Maybe not. But my kids will probably tell you that my dad loves the Lord with all his heart. With all his might. With all his soul. And as I was reading this passage, he desperately searched for him to find who Jesus is. And when he does, what does he do? He bows down before. A father. A dad is the one who seeks Jesus in a very, very unashamed manner. You see, as fathers, we are the priests in our own homes. And you see dads, we are the spiritual leaders in our homes. And as I said before, either you are leading your family closer to God or that you are leading them further away from him. I want to conclude. Do you remember what my friend who actually got married two years earlier and had a child two years earlier than I And this is my friend says, a father is a person who carries pictures where his money used to be. 
As I was living my own, or as I was walking my own fatherhood, I realized what my friend meant. Yes, it costs a lot of money to raise your own children, but that wasn't the intention what my friend was telling me about. You see, what is in your wallet dictates who is the master of your life. Isn't it true that whatever is in your wallet is the master of your life? And I realized that if you love your family so much as you have loved your your God or our God, and I believe that is one of the, the greatest godly fatherhood that I could probably teach to my children. I failed, yes, sometimes miserably. But I know that my family or my children, my own two own children, knows that I love my God with all heart, mind, and soul. And so today, as we celebrate Father's Day, I want to give you my own perspective, what a godly fatherhood is in a cult world, is the fact that, you know what, you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Ben. Happy Father's Day. Um, The context of me becoming a father is directly connected to my relationship with my own father, who I looked up to, I admired. He was a mentor, an encourager for me all through my life. And one of the things, though, my father had a big fear of dying young because his two older brothers passed away before they were even 60 years old. So my father thought he would also follow suit and, and pass away. So when I was still maybe in middle school, I think my father had a heart attack. And so that really shook me up and scared me that possibly my father would die young also. So I made a commitment at a very young age that the greatest gift I could give to my father would be a grandchild. And so I committed to, I would start a family. This is even before I even was dating anyone, before I was even married. I knew I wanted a family because I knew that would make my father happy. So Terry knew that, and so she uh, gave us two children. And so that is one of the things I, I am pleased that I gave to my father. But the realization, the day that I took home my son from the hospital, I realized wow, I'm responsible for this kid now. And that's a scary, scary proposition. The Bible has many verses that instruct fathers how to raise their children. And we just covered the parental responsibility to train our children in the ways of the Lord, to lead them closer to God as opposed to moving them away from him. Now, we all know our children are not always perfect little angels. They do have a sin nature just like ours. And therefore, parents are also responsible to discipline their kids. No one else has that primary duty to do that with them but parents. But there's something parents need to be aware of when we discipline our children. Wanting to do the right thing for our kids, we can end up doing it the wrong way, which can cause long-lasting harm. 
And we have a very, very wise God who warns parents in Ephesians 6, verse 4, when the Apostle Paul gave this instruction to fathers, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. To exasperate means to anger, to irritate, to embitter, to discourage. Furthermore, Colossians 3, verse 2, mentions the cost of exasperating your children. The Apostle Paul writes again, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Whoa. Probably the last thing as parents we want to do is to discourage our children, to make them so annoyed or to lose heart. Because if they do lose heart, we've lost one of the most important relational battles we have. The battle to win our children's heart. If they closed our hearts to us, an opening is created for someone or something else to break in. Now, you would think on Father's Day, I would pick a story that makes me a hero. But I'm going to actually share a story that I'm not proud of. And it's an example of me being a bad dad. A time when I likely exasperated my child. In our household, we would ever so often have these fun family time activities. And we still do this ever so often, even though my kids are adults. In our household, we would ever so often have fun family time together. And we, and we would, one of our favorite activities with our kids when they were young was to make caramel apples. How many of you have done that with your kids? Oh, not too many. Oh, I see some. Okay. So, as you know, you have to melt the caramel candy squares to coat the apples. So, as a precaution, I would always tell my son to be careful of the hot melted caramel. Now, my son was a typical active toddler, and he wasn't listening to me, and was always waving the popsicle stick with the caramel. Not knowing I was standing next to him, he accidentally touched my hand with the gooey, hot, sticky caramel. You know, I actually screamed out and said, Ouch! Obviously, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And as I rushed to the sink to run cold water on my burn, I yelled at my son, I told you to be careful! In that moment... I was not aware of my son's reaction when I snapped at him in anger. And as the usual case, my beautiful wife, Terry, was recording this on videotape. (laughs) She caught the shocked look on my son's face when I yelled at him. From a smiling, happy-go-lucky kid to an exasperated and discouraged and broken-hearted kid. Sadly, I didn't realize what had happened until many years later when I pulled out that old video and saw that moment. My heart sank. Bad dad. So what would it look like for you to be exasperate, to to exasperate your children? More importantly, how can you avoid doing that? Well, to help us out, here are a few examples and practical tips to how to avoid them that I would, or that I actually found from um, Cal Otis, who's a family pastor, and she's also a um, child development expert. 
So first, you can exasperate your children by abusing your power to discipline. Biblical discipline is not punishment. It is a course correction. It is modeling Christ in parenting. It is training a child in the ways he should go according to scripture with the intent to protect and shape a child's heart. So here's a tip to avoid that. Pray before reacting. Give yourself a timeout. Take a slow breath. Pray before acting. Cool down before disciplining your child. Next, we can exasperate our kids by constantly administrating harsh discipline. Harsh discipline hardens your child's heart towards you and God. And here's a tip to avoid exasperating your children. If you're not observing any change in your child's behavior patterns, try administering a different discipline. Don't keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Being a parent means being flexible, resourceful, and adaptive. What worked for a while may not work tomorrow. I know that's frustrating, but that's how it is. You really don't want to keep punishing your kid in the same way if she or he is not changing. You will just harden their hearts towards you, and you may win the battle, but lose the war for their hearts. You can exasperate your kids when you don't apologize. And this is a tip to avoid that. If you want to raise a child after God's own heart, model asking for forgiveness. It's the key to actually all healthy relationships. For me, I've learned over time to ask for forgiveness from my kids. When they were little, I would ever so often sit them down and say, I'm sorry. And I still do this when they're adults. It's never too late to apologize and make our relationships with our children better. It's not easy because we are prideful people, but it's necessary. And ever so often, of course, it helps over a very expensive dinner. I apologize to my children for the terrible things I said and did to them out of anger. And one of those times, I remember my son hearing this, and he paused for a moment gathered his thoughts, and told me something I did not expect. Dad, over time, God has definitely changed you. You are a better father now than back then. Isn't that what we all hope for? To grow and be transformed people? That's actually noticed by the closest people around us, especially our family? And finally, I think this is really critical. We can exasperate our kids if we are not listening to them. And this is a tip to avoid this, is to teach them how to respectfully share their feelings with you. Listen and be slow to react. We all know that listening is an important skill in all relationships, including our marriages and families, our friendships in our workplaces. As a parent, we would be wise to never cut off communication lines with our children. We must continually work on their trust and be safe people for them to come to us when they are ready to share what is on their minds, whether it's on those long car car rides, whether it's those moments, quiet moments at the kitchen table, on those vacation trips at the beach. There will be moments when our children 
will come to us and talk to us out of the blue. But we have to be prepared and ready for those moments. But if we exasperate them, we can lose that precious access to speak into their lives when they do come. Now, obviously, as fathers, we are definitely not perfect. We make plenty of mistakes, myself included. We get angry and do stupid things that hurt other people, including our kids. And thankfully, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit that guides us and directs us. And with God's help and grace, we can be better dads to our children. Summing up, as fathers, we are not to exasperate our children so they don't lose heart, according to Scripture. But a second reason to not exasperate our kids is God, our Heavenly Father, does not exasperate His children. And as earthly fathers, we are created in His image to be like our Heavenly Father. And one of my favorite stories is the parable of the lost son, or better known as the prodigal son found in Luke 15. It is about, it's a story about a father who had two sons. The younger son took his inheritance early and squandered his wealth on wild living and became destitute. The older son stayed home and worked under his father. When the wayward younger son returned home, the father did not yell at him or punish him. Instead, the father was overjoyed that his lost son had returned home. In the background, the older son, seeing this, became very jealous, upset that his father threw an extravagant homecoming party for his younger brother. The older son was so angry, he said some rude, disrespectful things to his father. The worst thing a parent can hear from their exasperated child is this. I hate you. Been there, done that. In spite of his older son's behavior, just like how he treated his wayward younger son, the father did not respond in anger or exasperate his older older son. The father instead told him that he was always his son and everything he had was his. The father in this parable represents God himself who we all know has amazing, unconditional love for all of his children. Contrary to how we may think, God will never exasperate his sons and daughters. That is good news. We can all appreciate and celebrate. So fathers, love your kids deeply. Scripture tells us fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Life will then go well for you and them. Amen. Pastor Eric. Well, these are um, great examples. Um, although, Pastor Ben, I, I think you're a little passive-aggressive towards me. Last night, about uh, late night, he said, Oh, Pastor Eric, we're all wearing Hawaiian shirts. And I got my youth pastor card pulled. I don't have one anymore, which really shocked me because I always had one. And then I realized that I think Pastor Ben might be a little angry that the Warriors won a championship and this is just his way of getting back at me. So uh, joking aside, I wore my favorite shirt that I bought in Hawaii that uh, I will wear. And I thought, you're right, I'm going to be comfortable. Well, uh, we heard about uh, Pastor Ben talking about Jarius 
and the love and the sacrificial love he had for his daughter and how that can affect us. And uh, Pastor Calvin speaking of uh, how we are to behave as uh, godly parents and the difference that makes. Um, I want to talk about one of my favorite pictures of a dad from Scripture, and that's the Apostle Paul. You go, Apostle Paul, who was single and had no children, and I go, that's my guy I want to follow. Well, let me hear it. When we hear from, we hear and see Paul's life and how active he was and how free he was because uh, he wasn't married and he didn't have children. Um, Many of the times we'll see that he was surrounded by people he did work with, right? He had Barnabas on those first trips. And every time in his letters, he would refer to his, you know, Silas, his faithful brother, right? Um, uh, uh, Tychius, right? Just different people that spent good time with him, those fellow workers. But then he has two or three people especially now coming out of the book of Titus that he refers to as his sons, right? We see that in Timothy to Timothy, my true son in the faith, beginning of second Timothy to Timothy, my dear son, the end of the beginning of Timothy. Again, he goes into detail, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you. You see, there's a little depth there, right? That they had spent time together and uh, a significant time. Uh, Titus, to Titus, my true son and our common faith. And even I think this is the most interesting one. He said uh, in, in writing the book of Philemon, which is a, about returning a slave to a, a bondservant, slave to a master. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Because he has become my son while I was in chains. All that, to, all, all that to be said is that even though he didn't have biological children, Paul demonstrated this, this theological truth that is part of the fabric of what makes our faith special. Is that Jesus stands in our place on the cross. And, the, and what we do as Christians, is we constantly stand in others' places. We stand, right? The most beautiful thing about our faith, the most beautiful stories, are when we stand in other people's place, right? Whether it was the building of hospitals, whether it was the poor and oppressed, it's Christians sacrificing because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. What Paul in the same way does is he stands in the place of being a spiritual father. And these become the the pastors and the church planters and the early church that uh, allow have have passed down the faith all the way to us because of who Paul, uh, Paul poured into. Now, the reason why I wanted to share this is because this is what happened in my life. I came to faith as a 16-year-old, and um, it was revolutionary. It completely changed my life. And at the time, my parents had just gone through a divorce, and I had a season where my father, uh, my, my father being very encouraging, was absent from my life during the season. 
And I had the advice of saying, maybe you need someone to disciple you. So I approached a man at our church, and he couldn't have been any different. I, I'm an extrovert. So I chose a safety engineer at Lockheed Missiles in Space. He could not have been more quiet, more, uh, you know, a, a person who planned everything, and he didn't have any sons. He just had daughters. And no, the story doesn't go there, right? They, are, they were like sisters to me. And so I approached him and said, would you consider meeting with me and discipling me? And he took some time to think about it, and he said, yes, I want you next Tuesday to bring a Bible and a notebook. And I thought to myself, I wonder if we're going to go through the book of Romans, like the hardest you know, hardest book, and I'm going to get really good knowledge, and I'm going to get smart in my faith. And we had dinner, and then we, we retired to another room, and he looked at me and he said, okay, this week, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down everything you do with your time this week. And I was like, huh? Okay. So the first two weeks, I started just writing down at the end of the day everything I did with my time. And at the end of those weeks or two, we had these deep discussions, and he said, so what do you do with your time? And I go, I waste a lot of time. He's like, yes. So I'm like, so Romans? He goes, no, this week, next week, I want you to write down everything you spend your money on. And I'm like, well, I don't have a lot of money. I'm 16. So the next two weeks, I, I started writing down everything I wrote, spent my money on. He says, so what do you observe about that? And I looked at my journal, and I said, I waste a lot of money. He's like, yes. So Book of Romans now? He's like, no. I want you to write down everything you eat in the next couple of weeks. Oh, there's nothing more humbling than to look at that and say, wow, I, I ate a lot of Three Musketeer bars this week. Yeah. Maybe I should be buying, like, the Costco pack of them, right, to work with the money, you know. And I wrote it down. And I figured out he was, you know, kind of Mr. Miyagi-ing me, right? Uh, but for the next, uh, boy, it must have been six or seven years, all the way through high school and college, every Tuesday night when I was home, I'd have dinner with his family. He would model, he'd model his, right? He invited me into that part of his life. And then we would talk. And then he would invite me over. And he knew what I was doing with my time. Saturday morning, I want you to come over. And I'd come over, and he goes, I'm, I'm repainting my living room. And I would sit next to him and just yak away as a 16-year-old while we would paint. And uh, I must have painted half of his house, helped him put up most of his, right? And, um, uh, and it made this tremendous impact. And I would suffice it to say that for the more majority of us, that if you, have a, if you have a significant relationship with God, there are probably a few people like Mr. Dilly, Mr. D, as I called him, uh, in your life. Who has God sent into your life? The one thing I have loved about CLC is there are these stories that, um, and I don't think you're aware of telling them, but you, you uh, 
the people in our church tell them often, of people who poured into them at different times in their lives. There's a lot of aunties and uncles in just different ways that have shared their life, that have spiritually poured into them, or maybe just came alongside of them. Yeah, it came alongside of you at the right time. I guarantee if your faith, you have that person, the college leader, the youth pastor, when you were young, married, other couples that came alongside of you. Even in our life, this has happened. Uh, when, when Pam and I were, uh, we were in a young marriage Bible study back when our daughter Audrey was born and another couple, we had children within the same year. When Audrey went to school in Nashville, they happened to live legitimately walking distance from the school. In Leanne, Audrey's freshman, sophomore, her beginning of school, used to meet with her literally every week just to meet, check in, pray with her, and talk with her. Who are those people in your life? Who's poured into you, themselves into you? Because we all, on thinking about Father's Day, the beautiful part of, the, of our faith is that we, we don't get deep on our faith by getting special knowledge or by isolation like other faiths, right? Kind of separating ourselves out is usually the path. We actually go deep by going wide. We need lots of different people with different gifts uh, to fill us out, uh, to fill out not only our church, but uh, who we are. We need spiritual fathers. And we need spiritual moms and uncles and aunties. And we all have the opportunity to do that. Now, it costs us time and it costs us commitment. It's intention and energy in order to do this. And yet, um, no one at the end of that I've ever heard, like, well, that was a waste of time. Almost everybody will say, that has been the most significant part of my life. This was, these are the most significant relationships that I've had. It doesn't feel the weight of that, but it's interesting how that builds as we go. It's interesting how that becomes significant when people, when we have the opportunity to walk with people um, and beside them in this spiritual, nurturing relationship like Paul does. It changes everything. And this is where we really become the family of God. And so the opportunity of Father's Day is even today is to think to yourself, who is God giving you the opportunity to pour into? Uh, who will God use in your life? Who's the phone call that you might make? If someone asked you, would you meet with me on a regular basis? Would that offend you or would that honor you? And so my hope, and, and I know as uh, pastors and staff and elders, our hope is that, uh, that especially over the last couple of years, that we as a church would continue this beautiful tradition of, of uh, investing in each other spiritually. Um, uh, we all have the, we, this is, I think, the beautiful thing about Father's Day, what fathers and mothers can pass down to us. Uh, and the beautiful thing about uh, our church is that we have that opportunity to invest in each other. And as, um, as Pastor Calvin comes to do communion, 
I would, I would remind us is that this is how God the Father fathers us also. We have our own parents. And, uh, and yet, uh, the, God is our true Father. He is the one who will send the right people and the right friends and the right person at the right time because he loves us. And if you look at the story and arc of your life, you'd be surprised to say, yes, that was me intentionally bringing this person at this time and these people at this time and this group at this time. And when we invest in that story, our lives, uh, our lives become so much richer and deeper. And so uh, let's go to the Father on this Father, our true Father on Father's Day. Calvin, come up and lead us.